to do a full episode? <laughs> do is we have this... enough material for a full episode? <laughs> I don't know. This is a this is a Nod Trilogy's first, everybody. We don't we're, know if we have enough to talk about. We're a little little stumped for, for length here. But you know what? Um, you know what? We, we can get into it, and it's okay if it's a shorter episode. Yeah, it's a prequel. Um, we might as well take yeah, absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I mean, in the meantime, we can we can pad out our time by talking about things that we're more <laughs> interested in. Well, there is exorcist-related stuff we can talk about That's and will talk about. It might even be longer than talking about <laughs> these two films. But yeah, sometimes you get duds, <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you get a gold mine. And today, a bit of a dud. Yeah. But uh, yeah, before we get into it, no time to die. Yeah. Biggest release that came out last week. We saw it together. We did. In IMAX. We both really liked it. I yeah. think. I mean, no I <laughs> <laughs> No one saw this, but he gave me a blank stare because I guess, I mean, we haven't talked about it since we saw it yeah. that night. But no, I think it's really good. I think yeah. it's pretty great. Yeah. I do think it's probably not as good as Skyfall or Casino Royale to yeah. me personally. I think it's the weakest of Daniel Craig's good, good movies. Good films, yes. <laughs> Uh, and it's it is funny to think though, and I, I I said this to you when we got out of the theater that it's like, Casino Royale's good, Quantum of Solace is boring as shit, mm-hmm. uh, Skyfall's great, uh, Spectre is hilariously bad in places, and uh, No Time to Die is good. So it's an odds evens, <laughs> yeah, consistency there for Craig's Bond, and thankfully No Time to Die is on an odd. It yeah. works. Yeah. No. I I think it. I mean, if there's a the biggest like. I don't know, knock I could make against it is that I think it's al- almost to a fault at points kind of reliant on the fact that it is the last Daniel Craig film oh, and for it sure. knows it and it's relying mm-hmm. on, you know, your love for previous Daniel Craig movies yeah, um, and the great things that those movies achieved. Um, and I wouldn't say it's, you know, riding their coattails because uh, it is a fun movie all its own, but I think... You know, those movies managed to do something really uh, different and kind of transcendent with Bond. And this movie kind of, and not in a bad way, just is kind of a Bond movie. Like yeah. in the fun, kind of goofy, bombastic spy adventure movie way. Yeah, it's like all... More so than his other two good movies. Yeah, because what's so really fascinating about Bond in Craig's era is that Casino Royale feels like the way that they approach Bond in the modern age is they do Bourne, but they don't do a knockoff of Bourne. They just use Bourne elements to make Bond modernized. They basically take the tone of Bourne yeah. and apply it to the tenets of a Bond film. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Quantum of Solace, and it's way too Jason Bourne to the point yeah. where like it's just it's just a knockoff. It's hardly recognizable as Bond. <laughs> and then Skyfall completely changes the tone, the vibe, the look, because it goes from. It's Martin Campbell and Royale, Mark uh-huh. Forster or Foster, Forster, Forster, and then it's Sam Mendes, yeah, who does Skyfall and Spectre, and then those films do not look at all like Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace do. Yeah, and then there's definitely the Sam Mendes or the what we have come to think of as the Sam Mendes look. Yeah, because Deacons. Kind of Deacons definitely helps with it's that. It's a Deacons. It's kind of a Christopher Nolan adjacent aesthetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and then with No Time to Die, it's like. No one knew initially if this was going to happen until yeah. they were just like Spectre made enough money despite kind of being mixed critically. Yeah. And Craig wanted to do one more. Kerry Fukunaga came on board, who I think he's a great director, so I'm yeah. glad he got to do an actual studio film. Yeah. 
after, you know, Beasts of No Nation is great, but, like, it was early on in Netflix's career that it didn't really get pushed that much. Yeah, he really hadn't gotten, like, a high-profile project since True Detective. Yeah. And well, it, well, it, was, it was True Detective, and then it was going to be It, but then they oh, yeah, left it. Oh, yeah, then left it. Yeah. yeah. So now it's great that, like, No Time to Die shows that, like, if he needs to be a studio man for hire that can actually add his own yeah. kind of touch to it, he could do that in spades. Yeah. Yeah, my, I think my biggest thing with, like, I guess my biggest critique is that Rami Malek's character is very muddled motivationally when we get to <laughs> yeah. kind of the meat and potatoes of the film. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's kind of fine. Like, I think a lot of people, the complaints I've seen was that he's, like, he's not in it enough or he, you know, is barely in the movie. And, like, I didn't really mind that for the first, no. like, two-thirds. I, I noticed like, it, but it didn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, I was fine that he was kind of a background to the, you know, the, the here and now of what Bond and his friends were dealing with. But, like, then you get to the end and you kind of sort of vaguely get an explanation for why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, and his- it's it's kind of a mixed bag because you finally do get more of him in the finale, but mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of good justification for no. why he is who he is. And yeah, and his and his ties to certain characters feel either forced or just underdeveloped. Yeah, but overall, Malik does a good job. I mean, oh, yeah. everyone He's, does great in the cast. Yeah, in he the film. is fun to watch even when he doesn't make a lot of sense like yeah. he's an enjoyable villain performance i mean if you're like me when you watch specter and you're like i do not give a shit about madeline swan because they're kind of forcing this relationship yeah. a little too I, quickly yeah. no time to die flushes it out really well yeah absolutely. and i liked that a lot about it i was that was one of my biggest problems with specter was that kind of making her the the bond girl to end all bond girls mm-hmm. and i just didn't particularly like her and the relationship was not built up and then in this i I don't know that i mean i guess she gets more character development she gets kind of a um she's shown to be kind of more her own person yeah um, i mean we we get a lot in terms of her backstory in terms of it's funny too and i think it's a good thing that shows that we get so much backstory about her that i have to constantly remind myself that, oh, yeah, we know who her father is. Her father is Mr. White yeah. from Royale and Quantum. Yeah. And it's like, that's right, he was Inspector. I just completely forgot because I yeah, forgot he, Spectre almost been, immediately. Mr. White, weirdly enough, has ended up being kind of like the weird tiny little plot thread that has kind of brought all yeah. these movies together, even though he's not really a critical part of any of them except, like, Quantum. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only because in Quantum it's because they end Casino Royale and Quantum just starts right after yeah, where they end right, it. Right. So it's like, yeah, he's going to still be there. But, yeah, I mean, it's like you have a great cast of characters. The The MacGuffin itself is very silly, but it's fun. Yeah, it's a I fun didn't MacGuffin. mind it at all. And just overall, it's if you're looking for a strong end to Bond for Craig, it's a strong end. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about, like, the other Bond actors' final movies, this is, I mean, it could be the best one. I mean, I'm, the best last Bond movie for any of these actors. I'm so, I'm so like ill-equipped to say that just because I haven't seen all the final. Sure. I actually films haven't of... seen Connery's last one when he came back yeah. after after Lazenby, um, but I think I've seen the others. But to be honest, I, I am probably a little biased because I. I also haven't seen all of the Bond movies, and also I would consider Daniel Craig to be my fi- favorite Bond, and also yeah. this kind of these movies to be my favorite version of Bond. Mm-hmm. 
so I'm probably a little bit biased there, but the the and I, know, I know like yeah. uh, kind of friends that we know and uh, acquaintances and whatnot have told you this, and I will I will definitely uh, repeat it. Honor Majesty Secret Service is what I kind of thought about watching. Um, yeah, yeah. Because like Honor Majesty Secret Service was like that film that. For years and years, people shat on because it was Lazenby's one and only film. (laughs) And people just assumed it was because he was bad. It was not because of that. It was because people were so mad that there was no Connery. They literally were just going to hate anything that came out. Yeah. And and, it's honestly, it's probably out of the Bond films I have seen, it's probably my favorite of the classics. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I just really love just the element of, like, what if a man who is... Supposed to be the womanizer, the globetrotter, mm-hmm. who is, you know, you know, has different women and different area codes, yeah. you know, that whole kind of situation. What if he actually found a woman settled down. to settle down yeah. with? I mean, it also has one of the most iconic endings for Bond. So going into No Time to Die, and like, I think the beginning just has a reference musically. I think there's a motif that well, comes from Honor yeah, Majesty's where it's there's like... musical references, and there's also a dialogue. There's a line that they yes. say, I think twice in this movie, mm-hmm. that is an iconic line from Honor Majesty's yeah. Secret Which Service. is just like, I, I appreciate the love for that film. Yeah. Even though it's kind of been, it's been growing in love over the years because now we're far enough away that we can admit <laughs> that Connery was great, but obviously what the best part about Bond is that you can kind of move and change yeah. and kind of go with each decade something different well and speaking of that in terms of transitioning to you know the the next era of bond i'm certainly in no rush to see what the next bond looks like um but i am curious about what they'll do no spoilers but given the ending of this it'll be interesting to see how they uh kind of do that changing of the guard yeah, it's 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 less floaty or less kind of soft in terms of what a finale could be because it's yeah, just it's it definitely more conclusive. has yeah they have an i they had a, a strong idea of how they wanted Craig's era to end and I hope that means they kind of have a strong pool of ideas for, for where, where they want to go next, with Bond yeah. from here. So yeah, if you want to go see that, definitely see it in theaters. I mean IMAX, it's so pretty in IMAX. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so pretty. I mean I would say if you like. Daniel Craig's better Bond outings, Casino Royale and Skyfall, then I I yeah. can't think of a good reason why you wouldn't at least mm-hmm. moderately enjoy this one. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I know oh, a lot sure. of people have had problems with it, but mm-hmm. I, I had a good time. It yeah. entertained me. I'm just excited for Little Nas X to be announced for the theme for the <laughs> yes. untitled. Is it Bond 26? Is that what the next one would be yeah, if they did yeah. it? Yeah, I'm honestly, I would love it. <laughs> I would love it if they had little Nas X as the as That Nick, the would be incredible. I would. <laughs> I hope he's not like out of vogue by then. Nah, I feel like with little Nas X, even if he is, he'll find a way to bring him back in. <laughs> that will bring him. That back will bring him yeah. back. <laughs> he will. He will say that he's dead his, and irrelevant, and then he'll announce yeah, that and he'll his, become even more relevant. Than his he did. idea of a Bond song will piss off so many people <laughs> that he will become relevant again. It makes millions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 not even beat around the bush anymore. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Soan. <laughs> and I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, we go one by one, and we talk about each films in the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And usually they're tied together by crew, cast, maybe number, or thematic elements. But today it's a frequel. Because we are doing, again, a weird scenario, <laughs> which is two prequels, or two cuts... 
of the same idea for a prequel to the original Exorcist. Yeah. Today we are talking about 2004's The Ex- uh, Exorcist. Exorcist The Beginning. Yeah. And then 2005's Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. <laughs> Both kind of awkwardly named, yeah. awkwardly made. Yeah. From this movies. point forward, I think we should call them Theatrical Cut and The Schrader Cut. <laughs> because at this point, it's hard not to look at this and be like, this is kind of a proto-Snyder cut in the funniest way. Yeah, right, yeah. For in a film that way. no one gave two shits about. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah, nobody demanded a recut or yeah. even the first theatrical cut. Um, but yeah, these these are kind of... It's, you know, an early example of kind of the 21st century plight that many people malign in Hollywood of, you know, milking a a classic property and making a prequel or a spinoff. And this is Mm -hmm. kind of one of the early modern examples of that and why maybe sometimes you just shouldn't do it. Yeah, because these films are supposed to be the first encounter, Father Marin, who is played by Max Van Sydow in the original film, his first encounter with evil. And, of course, his first encounter with evil in their mind is, oh, it's his first time meeting the same exact entity that he meets (laughs) in The Exorcist. Which there's not really any indication in the original Exorcist that he's met this being before. I will say thank God that they don't say Pazuzu, which means we can have two more films that just completely push Exorcist 2 to the side. (laughs) So they just, because I think Dominion says, the Schrader cut just calls him the devil. Yeah. says Satan a few times, and I think the beginning does the same thing. Yeah. And so it's like, going into this, you have a very fascinating situation where it's it's hard to say personally, I don't know what would have pushed these films through development other than they probably re-released the original in like 98 for the yeah. 25th anniversary. It probably made a shit ton of money in theaters. And Morgan Creek went, oh, my God, Exorcist could be relevant again. Right. Let's do this. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it sounded to somebody like a good idea. I mean, The Exorcist will I would never, hope so. The Exorcist will never not be iconic. And I'm yeah. sure in the early 2000s, that was enough for somebody to be like, let's do more of that thing because people love that thing. Yeah. Um, Is it weird to think that since the first film... We are we are now going to a point where the only decade to not have Exorcist content, or at least <laughs> official Exorcist content, is the 80s. Oh. Because wow. we have the first two films in the 70s. Yeah. We have three in the 90s. Yeah. We have the two prequels in the, 20, in the 2000s. We yes. have the Fox television show, which is supposed to be canonically after What's the first called? film. It's just called The Exorcist. Oh. Apparently, it's really solid. And that was like 2010s, mid to late 2010s. Oh, yeah. And then in 2020s, we will talk about this later, but The Exorcist is technically coming back. Yeah. And while we won't go into more detail at the moment, it's just weird to think that like a series like The Exorcist, which shouldn't be a series, has just had something related to it. Right, yeah. For the the last 50 years has had its pause in each decade in some way, yeah, shape, or form. Yeah, well, in a franchise where nobody ever 
thinks about any of them except for the original yeah. film. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the Exorcist TV show may be good, but I had already forgotten it existed, and that came out five or no, six I mean, years ago. You yeah, know, it was most a people, Fox show. Most so. people don't even realize that the original Exorcist film had sequels. No. I mean, that's, that's um, what's so funny about it, too. It's just like... Going into this, this is these two are the ones I knew the least about. Yeah. Like going into these two, I just knew that Stellan Skarsgård, who is in you know is in the MCU, he's a very re- well renowned Swedish actor oh, who's yeah. been in American films for decades. Also been in a lot of great Swedish films. Been in a lot of great Swedish films. It's also to note that when he plays Father Marin, he's supposed to play a younger version of him, but I think he's a decade older than when Sidow <laughs> played him and the exorcist yeah well selling Skarsgård didn't get fucking a1 uh facial aging makeup no <laughs> and it, the rumors were too that apparently liam neeson was the first choice oh could you imagine huh pre-taken post-lay miserable yeah liam neeson <laughs> yeah 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 it would have been what As a few- father Marin. <laughs> interesting that is interesting and so it's like from what we know, I think the original director that was attached to the beginning was John Frankenheimer. Yeah, John Frankenheimer. Who is He's... known for the original Manchurian Candidate and has a lot of great mm-hmm. films under his belt. He was old at the time, and he didn't take the job because he was old and he didn't want to do it. He had health issues, I yeah. think, too. Yeah, and he sadly passed away before they even went into development for the, oh, okay. like, the actual yeah. production. And so instead of him, they picked Paul Schrader, who is a writer-director who is most notably known for, just in his overall career, writing Taxi Driver, yeah. the Scorsese classic. Yeah, he's made a few... He's made a lot of films, both directing and writing-wise. A ton of films, a few great ones. I mean, iconic films. Mm-hmm. American so. Gigolo with Richard Gere, everyone's favorite <laughs> Richard yeah. Gere film. I mean, my first kind of like, because of course, we're both young... The first time I kind of like noticed Paul Schrader in a modern sense is First Reformed, his film with yeah, Ethan Hawke, yeah. oh, which is a fantastic movie. film. Yeah. It's a wild film. I love that movie. And it's also funny to think that to, in this year, we have another Schrader film called The Card Counter, yeah. and it looks absolutely nothing <laughs> like First Reformed yeah, in I, quality. I've, I've heard mostly good things about it. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but it looks, just visually looks terrible i know it's so I was, weird my mind was blown when i saw the trailer because it's the first thing we've seen since first reformed of his and i'm just yeah. like man what a step down and you know what? i hope it's actually good because i've been hearing that it's good and i'm planning to watch it but yeah but like so he gets put on board he wants to do a psychological thriller and the studio says no it needs to be spooky it needs to be gory it needs to be over the top yeah. Because I think every studio, their biggest mistake with them with The Exorcist is they only think of the climax and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. What makes that film scary is the build up to the climax. Yeah. And just the just how everything is treated normally, even though nothing is fucking normal with a girl with a with a little girl being possessed by a demon with self mutilation or head spinning. Yeah. You know the pea soup stuff, like it's. Well, I mean, ba- basically, I think we talked about this a little bit last episode, but basically every movie about exorcism, whether tied to the Exorcist franchise or not, every movie about exorcism that came out since The Exorcist has just been trying to like replicate the chilling exorcism scene in that movie, and like you said, they're always skipping 
the good the setup. And yeah. it's just, we just try and go balls to the wall with this weird, crazy, violent exorcism scene at the end of the movie and call it a day. And yeah. uh, So Schrader heard the studio, said okay, and didn't do that, <laughs> turned in his first edit, and the studio fired him on the yeah. spot. That first edit would ultimately become Dominion. But at the time, the studio's like, all right, we've already spent $30 million on this. Might as well spend $50 million more <laughs> to reshoot 90% of what Schrader yeah. had made. And because of that, we have Die Hard 2's Rennie Harlan <laughs> come in as the director to... <sighs> rework the film into, stupid. I guess, a little bit more conventional horror. Yeah, just a stupid film. Yeah. It's just dumb. It's well, just wild. <laughs> it, one of the craziest things about both these films is that The Exorcist, the beginning, has wild shit in it. Like, we're going to explain some of the messed up wild things that are in it, and it's still boring as can be. And yeah. then Dominion has its idea of Schrader wants to go more like the character development side of The Exorcist, which is one of the reasons why I would consider it better, quote-unquote. But it's still boring. Both films are two hours of just boring. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just as like, it's it's funny to see how like one's interpretation is just like, balls to the wall, almost so bad it's good. Not at all that good. <laughs> no, that, Not at all that fun. And then the other one is just like, really just tamer to a degree than even the original Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. So it's like vastly different interpretations of how to handle the prequel aspect. And for Exorcist at the beginning, it's just like hilarious. The film just opens up on a field, poorly CGI'd field yeah. of dead bodies and inverted it's like a crosses. Medieval and, war that just happened yeah. or something. And And then like Dominion opens up with <laughs> I don't even know her. I don't it, it it opens up with Father uh, Father Marin's backstory. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The cause... big thing about the prequel is they basically made Father Marin to a degree. Caris's um, kind of arc in the original film, where it's just like Marin's lost his faith to a degree. Yeah. But unlike Caris, where Caris's loss of faith is just life is beating him down. His mother has a mental illness and doesn't know how to help with that. Just being a priest altogether doesn't feel fulfilling to him as a person. Marin's whole thing of losing his faith is because <laughs> of the Nazis. Yeah, he was forced by Nazis to kill people in yeah, World he was, War II. He was stationed in Holland, and while the Nazis were trying to get out because they had lost the war, there was a small town, their small village in Holland where they were just like, all right, Father Marin, you have to choose 10 people to die in order for the village to survive. <laughs> and then the man just does not believe in God for the rest of both films until, you know, the climax. Yeah, right. And to say, if there's any, like, bright side about these both films, it's that Stellan Skarsgård does a good job in both versions. Yeah, he's never really, he doesn't he's, slack. He's, like, one of the only re re returning characters from the Schrader cut, like, actors. Yeah. And he just puts in a good performance, even though he knows that it's probably not going to be a big movie. <laughs> well, and what's hilarious is, like, the uh, the supporting cast is mostly pretty much the same characters, but they're all almost all entirely recast. Yeah, so the, it's, yeah, because, like, Cause the original they're... cut had Father Francis is in both films, but in the theatrical cut, Father Francis is 
just like cut to the bone. Like he's barely in the film. Yeah, he's and, James Darcy. Yeah, the uh, canonically the the inspiration for Jarvis in the MCU. He yes. plays Howard Stark's yeah. Butler, and which I will say. It's so funny, James Darcy's American accent in this film, because it just sounds like Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent, <laughs> Doctor Strange. Yeah. About chakras and magic yeah, and the all that. The power of belief. And then, like, Gabriel Mann plays Father Francis in the Schrader cut and is given a lot more to do. He's a lot more interesting. Yeah. But it's still, like, it's the goody two-shoes with the... the yeah, it's <laughs> the priest who's, you know, yeah, the priest alive who's seen with it Christ all. within him and... Is just yeah a fervent religious you know yeah. religious figure to contrast um, Father Marin's yeah. doubt. Yeah. So The Exorcist beginning comes out in two thousand four, makes seventy eight million on a fifty million dollar budget, and uh, but got critically slammed. <laughs> like I think it's still at a ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and Morgan Creek was so desperate that they were like fine. Paul Schrader, you can finish your cut. We'll release it in theaters in 2005, but you only get $35,000 to do VFX and sound design. <laughs> and so the Dominion's effects, even though the beginning's effects suck, Dominion's are a lot worse <laughs> because <laughs> Dominion, they have so little money yeah. to do anything. Dominion manages to, like... Make less use of effects, though, yes. which helps it. Yeah, because Schrader's a good director. You're not quiet. You're not getting yeah. bombarded as often with bad visual yeah. effects. You you have Rennie Harlan, who is obviously a who's had more experience with more bombastic action type yeah, films. Yeah, Deep Blue Sea, Deep yeah. Die Hard Two. Yeah, and then you have Paul Schrader, who is the man who wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah. And will later direct and write first reform. So like Raging the man Bull. is more interested in the writing and the characters. Yeah. And so of course, yeah, thank God he doesn't he doesn't need to rely too much on the effects as much. Also what's funny is Dominion when it came out in two thousand five came out the same weekend as Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> so it made two hundred thousand dollars in its right. total run. Which Ooh. is hilarious. A pitiful way <laughs> to end that ridiculous dispute because in the end what happens is you just now have two bad boring prequels that you didn't need yes dominions yeah dominions more interesting i think idea wise yeah it's at least trying to play with certain things about faith and i mean in some ways you could call it a spiritual for paul schrader a spiritual prequel to first reformed yeah, um, if you want to get pretentious sure. about it, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, but it, like it is at least trying in some places to kind of actually explore Father Marin's arc and mm-hmm. his, his relationship with God and his faith and all that, and it actually kind of comes to a satisfying conclusion for his character within the film. Yeah, but it's not doesn't make a particularly interesting movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like little glimpses here and there. You're like, oh, that's an improvement on <laughs> the other one. Yeah, because it's like in the horror in the in the theatrical cut, the they do the whole someone gets possessed by the demon. Yeah. Thankfully, not Pazuzu, uh, name wise. And in the theatrical cut, it's just a, a poor. Is it's an African child who is kind of knows Father Francis and Marin 
is is tied to the hotel that they're sleeping they're living at yeah. because the hotel manager is that kid's father. Well, and he's kind of like the local leper. He's like, oh no, that's in Dominion. Oh right, right. In Dominion, right. they do they do this wild. I think it's bonkers what they decide to do with him, <laughs> but I think it's also kind of fascinating that yeah. that's the route. We're in the Schrader cut. They get a guy that kind of looks like the demon face from The Exorcist, <laughs> and they just make this weird leper guy. Yeah, like the origin of that leper face. He's like face. super sick. He's got like uh, an emaciated leg, and yes, his, his face is all fucked up, and his uh, his right arm doesn't work. His right hand yeah, doesn't work like properly. Turned inward and cramped. Yeah, up. he's it's like he's got almost like polio or something like that Mm -hmm. um he's he's a nice he's a nice kid who's just treated poorly by everyone because he he looks funny yeah he's an outcast due to his condition and Um, marin marin treats him with compassion so does gosh i can't remember remember if is it revealed that he has been the vessel for this devil the whole time or does he get possessed during the film i think he there's a chance he probably has been the whole time yeah, I, think he, I think they kind of accuse him of being possessed yeah. before because they say he's bad luck yeah before like when he first shows up mm-hmm. um, which is i don't know how that works but at the same time i, I like what he got into before yeah. The because yeah another big thing too is that in the in the theatrical cut what basically happens in both these films is that Father Marin is, to a degree, overseeing the the oh gosh the discovery of a church that's like thousands, if not like fifteen hundred years old. Right, at least. right. Because he's he's no longer in the church. He's no longer <laughs> yes. a father. He keeps correcting people and saying, "I'm Mister Marin, not Father Marin." Yeah. Um, because he's left the church and he's become an archaeologist. Um, yes, and so he's he Indiana gets... Jones in the theatrical cut. <laughs> yeah. In Dominion, he's on a sabbatical, quote unquote, but he's still correct. Yeah, he corrects yeah. people and go like, "I'm not a priest." Right. And yeah, but in the in the theatrical cut, he's an archaeologist. He's leading this sort of dig site. Uh, they discovered this church that's over a thousand years old, like predates Christianity. Yeah, um, they, they. I think he says like. That's in an area that the Byzantine Empire doesn't get to for like another century or yeah, so. Yeah, it was like 500 like years before Christianity even happened. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they f- and then when they start discovering this church, they find out that not only was this church made in a, in an area where you wouldn't expect Christianity to show up, it was just made and then just buried. Buried. Yeah. And it was like, why is this thing buried? And it's yeah. like, of course it's buried because there's something evil under it. Yeah, it was yeah. a church. Ba- I mean, I guess it, they don't really get into it, which is another kind of disappointing thing about it. But I guess the kind of implication is that it was built on top of where this demon came to earth or resided or whatever. And so they build a church on top of it yeah. to guard it, to protect I, it, keep it sealed away. I think only in the beginning. I can't remember if the Schrader cut has this, but in the theatrical cut, I think they do say... The legends are, Father Francis says, I was brought here to make sure the legends are true. And Marin's like, what legends is that? Like, this is the spot where Lucifer fell from heaven. Yeah, he fell from heaven and and they built a church here to basically seal him into the earth. And it's like, okay, that's wild. And then I think in the, I think in the Schrader cut, it's more just like, we found an ancient old building. Yeah. And we probably shouldn't have. (laughs) There's kind of something that might be tied to this that we don't want to know about. Right. And yeah, it's again, I and don't... it's mostly just 
kind of banal proceedings of yeah. these people uncovering more of the church and creepy things happening in the little village outside the church mm-hmm. and hyenas showing up and killing people bad cgi hyenas yeah, i mean let's talk the biggest thing about the beginning that's so wild is that the beginning has two scenes that stuck out to me is i cannot believe that this is happening in this film and i've never heard about this and then i realized oh it's because it's boring as shit <laughs> overall is that the first kill in exorcist the beginning is a small child getting chewed to death. Ripped apart. Ripped apart by CGI hyenas. Yeah. And it's not like it happens off screen. For a second I thought, oh, they might be biting this child because they're protecting the one that's possessed. Yeah. No, they just annihilate this child yeah. on screen I mean, and then they pull him off. Yeah, it's not Eli Roth levels of like seeing no. his arms ripped from his torso, but it, like you do see blood squirting everywhere and the kids screaming and the and things like, biting at him. And it's like, oh, Jesus. So again, keep that in mind. This movie's still boring. Even with that, yeah. when that happens, like you go, whoa, seconds whoa, whoa, why? Pump the brakes. There. And then later on in the film, there's a miscarriage that yeah. is, uh, it's just wild. It's just, it's a miscarriage. It's kind of out of nowhere. It comes out of, well. And the implication is that it's caused by the presence of yeah, because the devil, but. A, a big thing in the original Schrader cut that they try to keep for the theatrical cut is that there's a. All this takes place in Africa, and it's in Nairobi. We're, like, right yeah. outside of Nairobi. And there's an African tribe that doesn't like the British colony, the British army being there. Yeah. And so there's rising tensions, and they especially don't like that they're trying to dig up that church because they think the church is bad. Right. And because of them digging up the church, they believe it's the reason why I think their king i think it's because they think that like their leader's wife has a miscarriage yeah. and they blame it on the church and you see which is another wild thing is that in the schrader cut the miscarriage is still in there but it's like cut down and it's not as graphic in the theatrical cut it's like really long yeah. and like weirdly needlessly yeah and there's a lot of screaming and yeah and then they It's essentially the same scene. They just trim yeah. it, trim it way down in the yeah. crater cut. And then they show you what the what the child looks like, the unfortunately the tragic child and he's <laughs> covered they're covered in maggots. Yeah, I mean it's like a I mean it's clearly been eaten away at. There's and like bones showing and, and it's like what? Yeah, it's really Why gross is this movie baby. it's like why is this movie boring child get destroyed by hyenas boring that and then just boring. Yeah, and there's no real in between. Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the beginning, they try to do like a finale to The Exorcist, where the doctor that's on site. We're gonna spoil the fuck out of both these films because yeah. you don't need to see them. Yeah, please. No don't. one needs to see these films because they're so unnecessary. But in the theatrical cut, the real the twist in the film is that the real person that has been possessed the whole time is the doctor that Marin has a like kind of will they won't they relationship with yeah and then at the very end of the film she basically becomes reagan from the end of the exorcist yeah, she gets the whole gray skin cuts on her self-mutilation face, turns yeah. her head around contorts herself mm-hmm. but then she also becomes like a uh, spider-man and is like crawling all over yep. the walls and ceiling of the cave and is punching and jumping and... i think at one point she does like a like she does a backflip without jumping. She just like floats, but it's, yeah. it's with CG, so it's really bad. Yeah. And I mean, the funniest part about that whole S, that whole part is that 
when Marin's doing his, which is supposed to be like, this is the film where it shows, oh, so he has done an exorcism before, before he dies in the exorcist. <laughs> what did it look like? In the theatrical cut, it's a long cave where he just yells, the power of Christ compels you and all the incantations you need to say while the doctor possessed is like sprinting, sprinting at him at and speed. going like, ah. yeah, she's just sprinting at him. And then he, yeah, he's screaming the power of Christ compels you right at the last second. It's basically like he clotheslines her on the cross, the <laughs> crucifix that's in his hand yes. and she just collapses. And then it's like, oh, she's safe. And then she's not. The demon just decides to open her skull. It's like, <laughs> what is this movie? Yeah. And then in the, in the dominion, the whole thing is that, yeah, is it Chich? It's just Cheche or Cheche. Cheche. I literally saw both these films today, and I can't even remember what his <laughs> name is. But Cheche, the the kid, they 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 help his leg. They they try to help him and well, try to give him. He keeps getting better. He keeps getting throughout better throughout the whole time. But then he also has these like flashes of like demon eyes, and he starts yes. talking in English, which he doesn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which only Father Francis kind of sees, and it makes him go mad. Yeah, to a well, degree. And of course, like like Marin doesn't believe Father Francis because he's not witnessing it, and he's obviously yeah. a doubter of anything he's supernatural. Cool. Yeah, because Mar- Marin's Marin's cool. He's agnostic, <laughs> at yeah. least for now. And uh, uh, I I will say, I do think it's funny <laughs> that in the original Schrader cut, when Marin finally goes like, "I'm I am a priest. I need to accept that," and he's Father Marin. He just has like a briefcase that is full of like his pre stuff. <laughs> makes sense. It it makes sense character wise that he would always have it on standby. But in the theatrical cut, how he gets his garb is that Father Francis dies. <laughs> and he just takes all of Father Francis's like outfit. Jesus. Takes like his cross, takes like his holy water, takes his sash. <laughs> it's just it's like ridiculous. Father Francis is like <laughs> He's like dead on the ground. He's like, he's robbing a corpse. Yeah. So he looks more like a priest. <laughs> and it's so funny. They're well, like, that's their version of like, this is the cooler way to do that. Well, and the, uh, the, uh, the final shot of the beginning where he's like walking oh. back to the, I don't know if it's the Vatican it's or he's the just, Vatican. he's walking back. The entire thing is a green screen. It's the, so it's just Stellan Skarsgård walking in nothing. And he like it's like he it's like this a horizon is, shot. Like he walks off into yeah. the sunset, but everything except Stellan Skarsgård is green screen, and it's so obvious. This is gonna sound hyperbolic, but I I mean it when I say that that is the worst green screen shot I have seen in so long. Yeah, the it's whole, the worst one I can think. The of. The whole last minute is Father Marin supposed to yeah walk into the Vatican, but obviously they couldn't get him in Rome. So they just shot a camera following where he should be, and then they green screened him in. But they didn't have enough money to make it look good, so it just looks flat and fake. Yeah, well, and he's like kind of like floating on the <laughs> cobblestones. Like it kind of reminds me of like uh, like a Hitchcock film where they're trying to do like reverse rear projection. projection. Yeah, yeah, rear projection, and they're trying to like <laughs> make that look real, work. and they can only do so much. Yeah, and it's just, but it's like the hundred times worse version of that. Yeah. It is so funny. Honestly, I actually put my hand over my mouth because I was so shocked that that's how they were going to end the film. Yeah, no, the uh, honestly, both of these movies, aside from like the CGI that clearly kind of timestamps these movies, I I would like watching these movies. I would have thought they were made in like the '80s or early '90s because of how bad they look. Like they look 
old. They do. Way older than they are. They do look like 90s to me, like, like early, early 90s. 90s. Yeah. Like, for some reason. They just look cheap. Over Dominion, absolutely. Like, yeah. I think the one thing that surprised me the most about Dominion is, like, everything almost feels like it could be an independent film with how <laughs> sparse it is. Yeah. Like, it's well, kind of shocking how, like, the final confrontation in Dominion when it comes to the devil is, like, you think of the exorcist, you think of the bed moving, you think of the head spinning, you think of people getting thrown and, like, the walls getting, like, ripped to shreds yeah, right. by the devil. And then at the end of Dominion... From what I remember, because it was getting quite hazy because I was kind of trying not to fall asleep at the end of this. It's like Chiche is like floating in the air, shitting all over Marin. He sends Marin in his mind back to the moment when he's in Holland. Yeah. And then like they come back and it's just like a demon and a priest talking to one another until he... Yeah, like, Chiche basically, them. like, the whole movie, he's kind of healing and regrowing and yeah. kind of becoming more healthy, it seems, but it's clearly all at the hands of this demon that's inside him. And he eventually becomes kind of like this, he kind of looks like the Buddha by the end. He's bald, yes. he's naked, he's got a little white tunic wrapped around his He even his has, spine. like, a weird, like, you remember, you remember Splice, that Adrian Brody film? Yes. He almost kind of has, like, a weird dent in his head, yeah. like that Splice creature. Yeah, he's got the seam in his Which cranium, is so weird. Which comes out of nowhere. Yeah, they don't yeah. explain that at all. Um, but yeah, he loses all body hair, and he Now it sounds floating. like a woman. Yeah, so it sounds like a woman. It sounds basically like the woman who does the, like, creepy demon voice in the original Exorcist. Yes, yes. It's that kind of, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Um... And uh, starts floating around in, like, crisscross applesauce sitting yeah. position. Um, and, yeah, just kind of, like, berates Father Marin is just like, you're weak. You don't have any faith. Yeah. And well, as in the beginning, the whole thing is like, don't you want to fuck me, Marin? Like, that's yeah. a vastly different interpretation of how to handle the exorcism. Dominion is a much, or not Dominion, the beginning is much more of, like, a kind of, action exorcism yeah, scene what a studio wants from an yeah, exorcist and film <laughs> dominion is the opposite of that yeah which is you know normally you say oh he goes against the studio grain and that's great but it's just such a wet fart here yeah it's a lot of great ideas that really don't go too many places yeah and, and while i can so, appreciate like, some development for some of those i do kind of appreciate of anything that i like um in dominion that exercising the demon was able to kind of like calm the conflict between the tribe and the yeah. British army. So like they don't actually kill themselves. Cause in the beginning I thought that was fucking hilarious how it's like, we did it. We exercise the demon and they come <laughs> out from the cave and everyone's dead. Yeah. Well, I was like, you can't end it like this. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. The thing they change in the beginning, the theatrical cut is that um, as they're going into the church, that kind of that last time to face the demon, uh, the British army and the indigenous tribe are like starting to go to war, and they're like, like yes. tensions have hit a. There's a lot of blood. Point, and they're they're ready to kill each other, and all hell breaks loose, and they start killing each other. Lots of blood, lots of violence. But then, and I guess the implication is that the devil is making his influence known because they all start yeah. like people on the same team. British soldiers start killing each other. Tribesmen. Uh, tribesmen start killing each yeah. other and it just yeah by the time they come out from the exorcism in the church everyone's just dead yeah and it's like what yeah the the implication in the beginning is that 
there is a there is a tale of two priests that try to find this church centuries and centuries prior yeah Yeah, and then they ultimately end up fighting each other and their armies start to fight each other and kill each other because they just go mad because of what's under there and that's like the shitty cgi intro of the theatrical cut is that and then in the and then in the schrader cut it's more it's actually a more interesting idea of like there's built-in racism there's a bit of a The other on both sides, where they can't trust each other, even though they could if they gave each other time to like mm-hmm. actually talk. Because in that film, it's all about like two British soldiers get killed by the demon, and their left is basically as a message. And the British army assume it's the tribe, and yeah. then because of that, the British army, the general, no, I think like yeah, the the general goes insane, yeah, and like shoots just a random woman from the tribe. And then, like, it just kind of goes downhill from there. And thankfully, they don't fight in a gory, bombastic way like they do in the beginning. Like, they just, like, calm down. Yeah. And they apologize. And then they go to their own, do their own thing. And I kind of, I appreciate that. If, if there's anything I can appreciate with Dominion is, like, I do kind of like how low-key yeah. and restrained it is. But at the same time, that restraint leads to a climax that is just so boring. So yeah, just a and fucking goofy. wet blanket. I mean, yeah, Buddha Cheche is very goofy looking. Yeah, because it's just red eyes. It's just red eyes. Yeah, and a bald naked dude floating in the air. Yeah, like just I talking. Yeah, like I I guess I can give the beginning props for like giving the doctor like if this is the first time Marin's seen the demon. If we're trying to imply that this is the demon that's gonna follow him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah, let it let the doctor look similar to what Reagan looks like in The Exorcist. Yeah. But the weird thing, I I was expecting this movie to both of these movies to give more of a suggestion that the I guess Dominion does more than the beginning can kind of imply that this demon's gonna follow him the rest of his days. Yeah, at the end of the Dominion, basically the tr- the head. I think There's the tribe a line about that. Yeah. No, at the ve- yeah, and in beginning. The whole thing about the theatrical cut is that he basically just goes, at the beginning of the, f- the film, he goes, no, I'm just Mr. Marin at the end. He's, no, I'm Father Marin. And then he has his iconic outfit from The Exorcist because, of course, it's an MCU movie, but in 2000s. <laughs> yeah. We need to have Father Marin in the outfit. Right. And then in yeah, Dominion, basically what happens is is the I think the lead tribes, like the, yeah, the their leader comes up and goes like, now that you fought this thing, it's it's always gonna follow you. It's always gonna try and yeah, get back and, at you. And, and it's Marin kind of accepts that and yeah. just like, well, you know what, then we're gonna yeah. battle it out forever. And like that at That's, least feels like it leads into yeah. the exorcist, whereas the theatrical cut is just like, Oh, he's back to church now. I guess that means He's going to be in The Exorcist. Yeah. I guess if he's like trying to walk towards the church but can't because it's not real, I guess that implies <laughs> that he's back in action. Yeah, and he's just going to coincidentally mm-hmm. run back into mm-hmm. Pazuzu or the demon or it's, whatever in It's also funny, years. too, that like with Exorcist 3, it's clear that they're not trying to build out the world at all because that's stupid. It's no, only going to make your film feel silly. really just playing in the yeah. emotional consequences yeah. of the first film. You just build out existing characters, and therefore that will build out the world. Yeah. And with the Exorcist prequels, you would assume they're trying to build out the world because it's Marin. Right. And because it's like, this is the guy that's going to save Reagan with Karis. But it, they don't. They just do like a, it's self-contained. Both yeah. of those are mainly self-contained. 
Yeah. So it's like and there's it's, like no nods or really thematic no. parallels to the original Exorcist. It's just funny to think that the heretic is the one that really tries to just go for the fences, and that was so bad that yeah. they were like, we can't do that again. Yeah. We can't just develop anything to that degree <laughs> because apparently if if heretic is still quote unquote canon which it obviously isn't apparently in the heretic the first time um Kara, not Karis, uh Marin meets Pazuzu <laughs> is 1935 so that's 9 years so let's say the, <laughs> the decade prior so yeah this would be con- canonically the second time he fights him <laughs> He fights the devil or he fights the entity. It's so funny to think that, like, wow. at a certain point, they're just like, ah, just don't, don't even do, call it. We could do the Exorcist, the pre prequel. Oh, the pre prequel, yes. The pre beginning. Uh, yeah, well, let's stop talking about these and let's just talk about how. <laughs> oh, well, it should be noted, uh, you, you know, William Peter Blatty, the author of the yes. original book, uh, writer of the original film, director of Exorcist, uh, Exorcist 3. Three he he had some choice words for each version of these movies. Mm-hmm. He, he called Exorcist the beginning, the theatrical cut, uh, the most humiliating professional experience yes. in his life. Um, and on the other hand, he actually kind of sung He Dominion's, likes Trader. Yeah, he says uh, it's a handsome, classy, elegant piece of work. And I wouldn't go that far, but no. you know what? But it is closer to what he... It's closer I, to something he would yeah, have been interested in. Yeah, it's closer to three and it, to one tonally than you yeah, can yeah. do. But yeah, I mean, apparently there's also... I hope this is real. I so hope this is real. That even though Schrader and Blatty didn't really have that much say in the beginning, obviously, they were invited to a screening. Yeah. And they apparently were almost kicked out because they were laughing so hard. <laughs> And it's like, I really hope that's true, because I yeah. would love that to be real. But yeah, Dominion bad, uh, the beginning bad, don't watch either. Yeah. Um, I guess personally, I, w- I would say Dominion is more fascinating, so I would say it has a... it. But it doesn't make it worth a watch. Yeah, it's, it's like a polished turd compared to a turd. I'm not yeah. exactly going to say it really is that much of a difference. <laughs> but and what's crazy, though, too, is like... We are as timely as can be talking about these films because it was just announced that Blumhouse is going to be doing an Exorcist reboot sequel like they yeah. did with Halloween. I swear to God, if it's just called The Exorcist, <laughs> I really hope not. Gosh, I, mean, I was talking to because like I rewatched the. I don't get that trend. I don't. I the don't whole, either. Let's make a sequel to a classic film and name it the exact same thing. Well, I think they did it's, it with Halloween. They did it. They're doing yeah. it with Scream. Well, the thing with with Halloween, the big thing is that by the time that that film comes out, there are ten Halloween films. Yeah, it's like remakes and sequels included. Yeah. and at that point, they're like, I don't know, like if we call it Halloween: The Returns, it just sounds like it's another fucking sequel. So I guess yeah. we just have to go for it's Halloween twenty eighteen. Right. And well, but with, like, with Scream, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have an answer for Scream. I think they should just call it Scream Five. Yeah, but, Scream you know. Five. Just make the S a five. Yeah. Five cream. Yeah. <laughs> five cream. Scafrium. This is why I am a marketing executive yes. at a movie studio. Yes, my my dad works at Sony. <laughs> he said I had a good idea. Acclaimed producer Andy Carr, uh, responsible for five cream. <laughs> no, but like it's apparently The Exorcist is coming back. Apparently Ellen Burstyn, yeah. who played uh, Mrs. McNeil in the and original he, film, is back. So you know that that is. I, I will say I'm not outright 
terrified or annoyed no. by that. Uh, no. I, I don't love the 2018 Halloween, but I did enjoy... It felt like a respectful sequel. Yeah. Um, I didn't love everything about it, but I thought yeah. it was fun, and it kind of embraced what made the original great. Yeah, it kind of expands on what makes Michael just so scary is his ruthlessness yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. gave it the ruthlessness it needed yeah so for i would modern hope age. that at the bare minimum this exorcist <laughs> rebakel um yeah has that respect for the original and kind of tries to emulate mm-hmm. what made the first one good yeah and i mean i think for me the one thing i would be worried about is the fact that like having carp and john carpenter attached to the new halloweens makes me have a bit of like okay he he's like somewhat involved this time compared yeah. to like the sequels where he's just like no he's I don't. He's like giving a blessing. He's doing the score, so yeah. it's like yeah, of course he's giving a blessing. And the problem is now is unfortunately, uh, William Peter Blatty die is dead. Yeah. Um, Lee Cobb is dead. Uh, Max von Sydow passed away. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they brought him back, I don't know how the fuck they explain <laughs> that. Jason Miller is dead. Put him in young man makeup. Uh, so it's just like it's Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn. And I don't know if Linda Blair's really going to come back for this or if they're yeah. going to really ask her. So the question is, is like, are we going to do like a, are they going to recast Reagan, which is going to be very, very yeah. interesting to see if they do that, what the response is like by fans right. and by people in general. And also, are they going to just do what they did with Halloween where it's just like, it's now the great great yeah it's 40 years later yeah the great granddaughter or grandson of mrs mcneil is now dealing with it yeah and it's like there's not a lot of care there's not a lot of legacy (laughs) like halloween kills has already announced that like you know anthony michael hall's playing tommy who's like laurie strode's baby like he laurie strode babysits and Lindsay, who's the little girl in that film as well that actress is actually the same and is coming back yeah they're even getting the sheriff, who I think has got to be 80 at this point in Halloween Kills. And with The Exorcist, who else do you really have when, unfortunately, the biggest hitters either don't have any interest or passed away? Yeah. Well, so I it's mean, like, William Friedkin's still alive. Friedkin I don't know is that alive. He's going to be, I mean, he's like old, old. Last thing he directed was a documentary in like 2017. The last thing I saw with him is him just like ripping apart Nicholas Winning Refn in like a (laughs) like an interview, which is wild to watch. Mm -hmm. Which is just like it's just insane to see the boldness on him, and I kind of I love that from Freakin. But that'd be cool if they could get some kind of contribution Mm -hmm. or seal of approval from him. That'd make me. And it it seems like it seems like Jason Blum is just like extremely confident, and I don't know if that's warranted yeah. yet i'm curious because yeah i'm not a big fan of 2018's halloween either but i do i think it's really good and i feel like i'm excited for kills because yeah. like it could really just go up from here and hopefully it right because they've established this is a trilogy yeah they've already yeah this will be number two out of three yeah at least and it's just like we'll see as long as it's more interesting than fucking beginning and dominion <laughs> i i couldn't care less <laughs> And thankfully, we're done with those because yes. the next thing we're doing is an actual trilogy. And it's a trilogy that we are both excited about. Andy, tell everyone what that is. Well, we've been talking a lot about John Carpenter and Halloween, but wow, I didn't even think about the. <laughs> you kind of plays into it, yeah. But uh, John Carpenter is actually responsible for another, maybe lesser known, but mm-hmm. still very fascinating horror trilogy. Uh, that has been dubbed the the Apocalypse Trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. These films are not, 
they're not sequels. I don't think they're really tied no. together story-wise. I think but it's all thematic. Thematically, they're kind of a spiritual trilogy. Um, do you want me to list them off, or do you want to list them off? I could do it. Go the, for the three it. films we're doing, we are doing John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, which is 1982's The Thing. I was going to say They Live for a Second. <laughs> they Nin- Live. 1982's The Thing, 1987's Prince of Darkness, and 1994's In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Three films that are just about, they're just cynical, apocalyptic, maddening, yeah, and just also kind of... just fascinating Carpenter, as usual. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, The Thing is an iconic film, an iconic horror film. Yeah. Might be my um, favorite Carpenter. Like, just all of fair. that I've seen of his. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the only one of these that I've seen. Yep, same here. Um, so I'm interested to see what the others are. Because I know the, the other two, particularly in the Mouth of Madness... Um, but they both do have kind of a cult following. Yeah. Uh, they weren't like critically loved at the time. I don't think they were super successful, but no. um, they've built up kind of a, a fan base in the years since. Yeah, well, that's the biggest thing about Carpenter is that Carpenter goes to some fascinating areas, and but unfortunately, due to how much money Halloween makes the box office on such a small budget, He's never able to create the same amount of popularity and yeah. success that he does with his third film. Right. Which is a bummer because his, his filmography is fascinating. <laughs> and these three films are definitely fascinating themselves. I mean, you get Donald Pleasance in a post an apocalyptic film. Yeah. You get Sam Neill in In the Mouth of Madness, yeah. who I love him. And, and then In the Mouth of Madness is based on H.P. Lovecraft. Right. It it it's uh. Or is it inspired by like it's well the it's kind of Stephen King. It's like they're making fun of Stephen King because the because it's about an author yeah named Sutter King, (laughs) with it's just an S and a K, so it's it's not really hiding anything. But uh, then yeah, you get you get um like peak Keith David and Kurt Russell and the thing. What more could you ask for? All three kind of psychological, cosmic, eldritch horror stuff. Yeah. So and, I'm excited to dive into those. Yeah, and the best part, too, it's going to be Halloween weekend when we yeah. do it. These will be coming out October 30th. Yeah. So tune in on the 30th when we do the Apocalypse Trilogy. Do you want anything else to add to it? Or I don't think so. I think we got All it. All right. With that said, then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening.